Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Happy Recap Radio Show for this Sunday, March 19th, 2017. Starting to head on down the downward spiral of the remainder of spring training. And uh, we're looking at the Mets and how they're doing. We're going to talk with our good friend, Michael Barron, just momentarily. And we're going to talk about a lot of things going on throughout the Mets world. But I don't want to waste any time. I want to get uh, our good friend, Michael Barron, in. Uh, before I do, though, just want to let you know, we will be opening up the phones a little later on. I'll get you that number right now. If you want to write it down, dial it up, whatever you'd like to do, you can certainly sit on hold and listen to the show while we wait to get to your call. The phone number is 347-884-8742. That's 347-884-8742. Without further ado, how are you, my friend? Michael Barron. I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. Doing okay. How how'd sunny Florida treat you? Done. It was beautiful. I mean, um, I was mainly there for to uh, to do work for the World Baseball Class, and that was absolutely phenomenal from a baseball perspective. And then towards the end, I was able to catch a couple of Mets spring training games and got to observe what was happening, um, both good and bad. And um, but I think for the most part, you know, the Mets are looking pretty good going into opening day. Absolutely. I want to talk to you. You were in, of course, in Miami for the World Baseball Classic. And I think yeah. uh, the, the comment I had, we had uh, Rich Catino on last week. And certainly uh, one of my comments about that was this kind of feels like, to an extent, the WBC has kind of come into its own in an extent. It hasn't necessarily this country been become must-see TV, but it's definitely become appointment viewing, uh, with the possible exception of last night's USA-Dominican uh, game, which was rather tragically a West Coast night game. Um, mm. the, the, the series and the games and the intensity of some of these games, I, I got to say, it's some of the more enjoyable baseball I've seen in a while outside of postseason. Well, I would, I would argue, and I've been to a lot of games, a lot of playoff games, World Series games. I, would, I mean, I said the entire time I was there that it, that was more intense than any World Series game I've ever been to, and the crowd was just... Electric and of all places, Marlins Park. And they did, they had two consecutive sellouts for the first time ever. And they weren't even Marlins games. So, um, you know, and now you can thank the Dominican Republic, the Dominican Republic's uh, fan base there. I mean, that was just, that was just amazing how loud, how loud they were, how, in, how into every single pitch they were, even when they were routing Canada. Like, it was just still this big giant party. And, Look, it was a lot of fun to be a part and then a part of and then when they played USA, I mean that was just that was emotional how how intense it was. Like you, you couldn't even hear yourself thinking mean, the stadium was shaking, like you know, how we talk about, you know, when um you know, Ventura hit his home run in ninety nine against the Braves and then in eighty six from game six when the stadium when Shea was shaking, that's what was happening in Marlins Park during this during those games and you know, even against Columbia when you know, Jose Bautista made that throw to save, to really save the game for the Dominican Republic against Colombia in the ninth inning or tenth inning or whatever it was. The stadium was just out of control, loud. Like I think my ears are still ringing from it. It was, amazing. and you know, it was, it was nice to see that place have people in it and have people engaged in the game, even if it was just, you know, even if it was for the World Baseball Classic. Man, I think it was important for the Marlins organization and demonstrated that there are in fact the baseball fans in South Florida and they will come if they have a reason to go. Um, but I think the Marlins are still trying to find that reason, you know, even when they're good, they have trouble drawing, but, um, you know, I think the, I think they can do it if they, you know, put the right product on the field. Yeah. It's one of those things that I was, I was actually saying, uh, you know, of course you make a couple comments like, well, Marlins stadium has never looked like this. What do you mean? They're fans. Um, the you know and the general joke you know, the joking around the go, but that place really can rock with the right crowd in there. Uh, I mean, I I, I jokingly um, felt like uh, especially that Dominican American game last last week, and obviously the come from behind victory, just simply amazing to watch for the Dominican. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, the reality of it is, is that did not feel like a USA home turf game, as it were. That definitely felt like a game that probably was going on in the Dominican with the amount of, oh, of, of fans there. I mean, there certainly were more than enough American fans, but uh, by golly, the, the, the majority of the crowd. And the cool thing is they brought the culture with it. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, that was always the big disappointment a couple of years ago. As well as 2000, when the Mets went over and started the season in Japan, I'm so fascinated with the Japanese baseball culture. It's so wonderful, um, and MLB shut it down at first, and, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, oh, it's, it's just a boring baseball game at four in the morning. This is not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, thankfully they kind of rethought it, and it uh, kind of came a little bit back to life in game two. I just love the fact that. There was nobody saying how to behave, how to do anything. This was just pure, passionate love of the game, baseball, and love of country, uh, whatever country that may be for the team that was playing. And you know, on the pretty cool side of it, hey, you know, the USA uh, you know, turns around and uh, gets their revenge and heads to the semifinals. Because they didn't have Andrew Miller out there to blow it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> of all people, I mean, as you know, it's it's pretty amazing that he came in and, you know, threw up a stink bomb against the Dominican Republic. You know, I think everybody was surprised. Maybe. But, you know, that I think that's the beauty of the World Baseball Class. They've had a lot of wild, wild games, a lot of wild moments. You know, just even Adam Jones' catch last night. I mean, that's just, you know, wild and surprising and amazing. And, you know, I, you know the attendance ramped up. Um I think the passion is ramped up, like you said. You know, the the, the players and the fans have, have brought the culture into these ballparks, and I really think that it's, um, I think it's transcended into um, the quality of the play, which you know at times really isn't great, but there's you know good reason for that. There aren't you know major leaguers out there for a lot of these clubs, but you know certainly for the Dominicans and the Americans and the Puerto Ricans, you know there's. You know, they're they they they're playing at another level, and I think you know the fans and the culture have a lot to do with it, and I think that's an important important part about of the World Baseball Classic. Aside from trying to generate interest internationally, I think you know Major League Baseball is trying to you know imprint the world's culture on the game itself, and it's working. I, I think you know they they certainly in the first round the attendance was up 34 percent over the first round in 2013. And I think you can thank the the Japanese, the Koreans, and the Dominican fans for a lot of that. But, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. And the bottom line is that they're doing a lot better. And I think that's important for the event and important for the future of the event. Well, the other thing will be interesting to see going in here into the last two weeks of spring training. um, We'll have the, the, the Dominican team players returning to their respective camps here over the next day or two. Uh, obviously more will be coming later in the week as the tournament wraps up this week, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if there is, um, for lack of a better term, WBC hangover uh, mm. coming back to, you know, meaningless games, uh, sure. you know, gearing up for the drudge of a, you know, 162 game season. I got to imagine that uh, that is going to, it, for some players, I don't know for all of them, is going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of a hurdle to overcome you know, to go from playing in front of 50,000 excited fans back to 7,000, uh, you know, people who are not all into it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and, you know, those long bus rides, you know, all over Florida and Arizona, too. You know, and like you said, I mean, it's this is the part of spring training where you just you, know, you can see the finish line. And it's, you know, it's hard. It's, you just want to get there. And it's I, I always wondered how it is for a player. I, I actually asked David Wright this when he came back the last time. How, how it is for him to go from the doldrums of spring training and the routine of spring training to playing in that and every at bat and every moment mattering and having it be over and then coming back and um you know and then ha- and then having to go through those you know that routine again and he really didn't have a good answer he said it's just part of you know it's just part of the job really that you know it's okay that was fun and now it's back to you know, now it's back to my job for the club and my job is to get ready. And, you know, look, they're professionals and, you know, but at the same time, I think, you know, like you said, there's, there's gotta be a hangover. I mean, you look at 
you have you you look at what's required to be up and ready and able to compete in that tournament, and then to come back off of that, it's hard. I, I got to imagine it's it's hard for a player to deal with that. Um, I think it's easy to say, well, it's just the way it is, and it's part of the job. But you know, you still have memories, you still have you know, you know the the preparation, which is just not the same anymore. But you know, what can I tell you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I certainly, obviously, hope that the uh, U.S. goes further in the WBC and continues onward. But uh, I got to think that uh, all said and done, Michael, uh, overall, huge win for Major League Baseball with the WC this round. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in the league. And it's, you know, it's I think, like you said, the win is what you're seeing on TV. It's not it's not really a big money maker for them, believe it or not. I mean, and, but it's real. They're really they, their goal is to generate interest and future interest in the game globally so they can make money long-term. And, um, you know, they don't do particularly well with the ticket sales, um, as you've seen in a lot of these games. Um, I, I think, you know, their goal really is to break even. But, you know, outside of the financial side, I think it's certainly mission accomplished. I totally agree. So let's let's turn to uh, Port St. Lucie and uh, the various things going on. Um, I love that at this point, Michael, that we have some questions. We have some question marks in the rotation of the bullpen, mm-hmm. a little bit out in the field. But the beautiful thing about this year is, 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 as in past years when we've had this discussion, is those questions are caused because we have depth. We have depth. And by the way, we have some depth. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's a nice thing. I mean, I think I think today there are more questions than there were um say a week or two ago, primarily because of, of Matt Harvey. Um I don't think I think he's behind and I think he'll admit that I think he's sort of admitted that he's behind, even though at the beginning he said he feels great, he said he felt better but that's what everybody says. Now, the reality is that he if the season starts were to start today, like he would probably not be ready to go, but like you said that's okay because they have Robbie Selman and Robbie Selman gets hurt. It's okay. Cause they have Seth Lugo. And if Seth Lugo gets hurt, it's okay. Cause they have Zach Wheeler. And, and you know, had in previous years, so when case in point, when Harvey had the, you know, tore the, the ligament in his elbow and he got hurt and they were lost for the year, they had no real response to that short of signing Bartolo Colon. But now it's okay. Well, maybe we can do even better. You know, and that's, these are the problems to have. Well, I think the the interesting thing too, obviously, is I mean, I I agree with you. I think I think that uh, that Matt is behind, and uh, you know, he's pitching tomorrow, and certainly looking forward to seeing hopefully some adjustment. As uh, it sounds like Dan Worthen has been working with him on how to adjust to having a lower velocity out of the bat here, at least for the first potentially couple months of the season. Uh, but at, you know, at, at what point do you think that they look at the idea of possibly disabling him for the first two weeks of the season? and using an alternate arm just to give him a little extra time at St. Lucie. That's a good question. I actually wondered that aloud yesterday on, on Twitter. Um, I think, you know, I, I haven't talked to anybody about this certainly, but I would have to think that, I don't know if it's concern. I just think it's okay. We have may have to look at plan B at least for the first, you know, three or four weeks of the season with him because he's clearly not ready. Um, and those plan B's are what I talked about before. But I have to believe that, you know, if this team wants to win, like I don't think that they can give Matt Harvey a leash at the major league level to get healthy and get stronger, which may be all that he really needs to do. Um, I don't think that's going to happen at the major league level. I think they, you know, would. I don't see why they wouldn't want to keep him back in in Port St. Lucie, give him some ex- extended spring starts because they have these other options and. I think, you know, after seeing Zach Wheeler the other day, I don't think his command is there, but I think that can come in his final two or three starts. And if it does, I, I mean, I think you'd have to believe that he's a viable option to replace him, at least short term in the rotation. Um, but, you know, it's, again, it's they have that luxury to be able to do that where they don't have to rush Harvey and they don't have to rush Wheeler because they have real quality options um, in Gasellman. I don't want to say proven, but um, options that are on the rise, like Solomon and Lugo, and um, 
you know, two or three years ago, they might have been inclined to rush Matt Harvey and take a risk and put him in the rotation where they don't just don't have to do that right now. So I think that has to be an option. It's got to be something they're thinking and talking about if he does not respond. And tomorrow is a big step, I think, one way or another in determining whether or not he's going to be in that rotation because, you know, if he's, again, it's not so much the velocity, it's the command and the life on his pitches to me. It just wasn't, I saw it in person. It just wasn't there the other day in Jupiter. Um, and if, you know, you start to see that, then it's like, okay, our concerns are, a little e- are, are eased somewhat. But, you know, if he struggles again out there, then I think they're going to have to, you know, they're, they're going to have to start looking at Lugo as a possible plan B along with Gesellman and Wheeler. And again, the nice thing is they have those options, they, you know, quality options, high, you know, top shelf options. It's great. Well, the question I have, you know, we talked about Zach Wheeler. I mean, and, you know, the, the velocity was there the other day. The command was definitely, I mean, as you said, it was, it, 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 it was variable. Um, the, the, the key, and I, I think I, I've, you know, if I recall correctly, because, I mean, again, it's been a little bit of time since we've all seen Zach Wheeler pitch on a week-to-week basis, but uh, mm-hmm. command is something that's always kind of been a little bit of a struggle for Zach overall throughout his minor and major league career, if memory serves correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess the question is, do, do we consider him at the point where he was when he stopped, or do, do we feel like that uh, the command really is behind where he had been? Well, I think you really have to look at it as, okay, opening day is two weeks away, where is Zach Wheeler? And you evaluate it as, okay, the velocity is there in the fastball. He's throwing 95 to 97 again, so good sign. The the life is there on the breaking ball, and he's throwing at 87, 88, 89. Okay, good sign. But, okay, the command is not there. And, yeah, I mean, I agree. His, his command was an issue before he went down, but – you know he's an old he's older he's more mature you know he's had an opportunity to you know learn from a lot of veterans in the time that he's been out that have come down there and been able to rehab and he can you know be sort of you know be a sponge off of those guys and you have to think that all that you know is just part of his growth and mature maturation process i i guess we don't know if the command will ever be there cuz i don't think we've seen enough um, of him in the early part of his career to be able to determine that. But yeah, if he's going to be an option in the rotation, I think that's the, the, the evaluation has to be kept simple. And you have to say, okay, well, the command still needs work. He has two or three more starts in Florida before they have to make, or really have to make a decision. And I guess they don't even have to make a decision until the first, you know, the, that, that really the last minute, that final weekend of spring training or even, you know, just after opening day, you know, they can, because they'll have, to, I mean, they're going to need the fifth start of the first turn, but they can really determine that on opening day or the following day and get the guy, get the, get the candidate, get the choice ready at that point. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's a fair question. I, I'll be honest, I haven't, I almost forgot that he had command issues before he went down. It's been so long. Um, but I mean, he certainly had been working on them and improving, and I think he was starting. I mean, obviously, it seemed like he was starting to put it together, right? Of course, you know, as luck would have it, and as would be typical uh, of the uh, LOL Mets era, if you will. He, you know, <laughs> kind of was starting to put it together right before he went down. But yeah, um, he was. He, I mean, he's always struck me as a guy who can put it all together. It's just he hadn't quite yet, and it was still one of those things I felt like on a start-to-start basis was, it's just the day we're going to see Zach Wheeler as he can be. Well, it's it's yeah. I, I, I at the time it was certainly hit or miss, but like you said, he was putting it together. The one thing that I saw the other day, which you know stood out to me, just from a mechanical perspective, was that there are a lot less moving parts now. He looks similar, but if you break it down, like, you know, he doesn't have the starting and the stopping with the hands anymore. It's much much smoother, and you know the the ball just looks free and easy. Whereas before, I don't know if that was necessarily the case when he's trying to you know, create his identity at the major league level. You know, there was, you'd see inconsistent mechanics and he'd always talk about those mechanics being problematic for him. And, and, you know, I, I watched him for five innings for the first time in three years or almost three years, which is amazing. And so it's, it's, it's hard to really draw any conclusions from that, but I certainly did see, you know, a smoother delivery, which can only help his command and only help his efficiency out there too. I mean, his first two or two innings, I think he had thrown 40 pitches, which is the same old Zach Wheeler. But um, that was also, you know, he's still just 
trying to get a feel for himself out there. So it's you know, it's hard to determine. But you, know, you try and take away the positives. And, you know, I saw a lot of positives, and I think the organization saw a lot of positives too. So let's head to the back end of the, the Mets pitching situation, the bullpen. Certainly um, a number of names throwing in there for various roles. Uh, the Mets still anticipating a suspension of Familia coming up here. Uh, potentially within the next couple of days now that he's no longer part of the WBC. Uh, Salas has just arrived in camp um, after some WBC and visa issues combined. And um, you've got a couple of guys really, only a couple of guys really standing out. And they were kind of the fringe guys. Uh, some, you know, Josh Smoker has had a fantastic spring um, and yeah. has done everything he can to you know, try and re-earn his role on this team. And then out of nowhere, Paul Seawald, uh, kind of one of the forgotten prospects, if you will, has made a name for himself. Meanwhile, Josh Edgens, uh, Eric Goodell, and some of the other names you expected to do really well, well, they've kind of laid an egg out there. Yeah, Smoker certainly stood out. And you have to believe that, you know, again, the business side, you know, put the business side aside, I guess, if, if for the moment you have to believe that Smoker would be the ideal choice for the second lefty, especially since, you know, he's not really a lefty specialist. He's more of a crossover reliever. And, but you figure if he has, if, if the command, if he continues to, you know, harness the command like he has this spring and really, you know, late last year for this club, you know, that his power arm can play against lefties really well um, long-term. But um, yeah, I mean, Goodell's, you know, Goodell's had, a problematic spring. Um, Edgen hasn't, I, I, I'm concerned about, I'm less concerned about the results with Edgen that, you know, as I am about, you know, the stuff and the stuff just doesn't seem like it's there at all. Like he's throwing the upper eighties, maybe touching like 90, 91 on the fastball and the sliders, you know, pretty flat. And that's just not going to play at the major league level. But of course the problem is, um, I can't remember about Goodell, but Edgen is out of options and that, that in and of itself might give him an edge on the major league roster, which may not be in the best interest of the team, but, you know, we know how those options play for every, for every team. And, you know, even, you know, the Cubs and the Indians have, you know, will will have similar kinds of decisions where they, you know, have to deal with people who are out of options and want to retain them. Um, I'm not sure that Edgen would be claimed by anybody at this point, but, um, you know, I think, you know, those are some of the difficult decisions that are ahead for the Mets, if only because of the business side. You know, I I think it's a no-brainer for, with Smoker, but you can demote Smoker and you can't edge it, and that's, you know, could play into the into the decision for the second lefty reliever. Um, but other than that, I mean, in the fifth starter spot, I mean, you pretty much know what's going to go north on March 28th or whenever they break camp. It's not, it's not going to be a very exciting couple of weeks, unfortunately. Well, what- what one of the interesting names in the pitching too that I, I didn't bring up a few moments ago that uh, I'm kind of curious because as a person I would have said after last season had no future with the club I was kind of sort of amazed he wasn't uh, let go by the club but having an amazing spring so far is Rafael Montero. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I mean he you know he pitched really well today for a couple innings and also you know it in watching him and you can see it on TV you can see it you know, in person too, like the stuff is there and he's got, and not only is the stuff there again, but, um, you know, he's, he seems to have command of the strike zone. He's not walking in a lot of batters. And you know, that was really the problem at the big league level where he just couldn't throw strikes consistently. And all of a sudden it's there now, you know, even Terry said the other day, like, you know, I'm not going to pay too much attention to the results in March and he's going to go with the back of the baseball card, so to speak. But, you know, with, with familiar out, you know, probably at least the first 30 to 40 days of the season. You know, Montero is, you know, he's on the 40. I think he's still on the 40. I'm going to assume he's still on the 40. And, he's still on the 40. Um, yeah, I mean, so you have to believe that he's a candidate to be, you know, at least, you know, like a six, seven inning guy in the bullpen for in the, in the short term for, for the club. Because, like, like we said, like, Adele's been atrocious and not particularly effective, um, during in, in camp, he's also dealt with you know some more of those elbow problems that always seem to follow him. Um, so you have to think that you know Montero is you know pitching with a purpose, and he always he's caught the attention of the front office for you know at least you know 
getting a getting a look early on in the regular season. I, I totally agree. You know, and I think too. I mean, you know, you you look at these guys, and you know, somebody like Montero is a, a you know. Now keep in mind, he's luckily he's pitched really well in mean, twenty strikeouts compared to seven walks over eighteen innings. It's pretty good. Um, but uh, the the uh, you know when we talk about uh, the good preseason being had by someone like Paul Sewald, who's not on the forty, this is the type of thing. This is where being on the forty is important. Yes, it is. And it's what's probably going to keep Seawald off of the big league roster, at least in the first part of the season, because, you know, they don't have any 40-man roster flexibility. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, because of because of that, you know, I think, you know, they're going to put his name on the list, so to speak, when there, you know, there is some flexibility. And, you know, we all know that with David, David Wright's situation that, you know, whether it could be, you know, a 40 man spot available sooner rather than later. Um, and that could, you know, create an opportunity for guys, for, for a guy like that. And, you know, even for other guys on the 40, on, on the 40 as well, like Gavin Cicchini and, um, you know, people who we've already seen, you know, there's, you know, they know that there's going to be an opportunity with the injuries. And, um, well, that, you know, yeah. so they're not, they're not going out there and just going through the motions as a result. So, you know, it's, We'll just have to see. You know, it's the, the big. That's the big question with the team in general: is oh, they're going to be great if they're healthy. So, um, and if they're not, you know, if they're not healthy, you know, who are they going to turn to? And these are the names that they're going to that they're keep that they're evaluating right now. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, for there to be room on the forty, at least in the pitching world, I mean, you're looking at having to cut Edgen or Goodell or um, you know or or Sean Gil Martin type. Um, although I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, once opening day comes around and the suspension kicks in on Familia, I believe he's technically off the forty man, isn't he, for the duration? Yeah, he gets he's put on he he's put on he's still accrued service time, but he comes off the active the active roster. So that would clear a spot for one of these guys in the short term. But it's I guess it's still too early to determine they have to know you know, how long he's going to be out. And I think that will determine yeah. whether or not they would add you know, someone to the 40-man roster, you know, while they wait for him to come back. Because, you know, it comes down to that roster flexibility. If they don't have that much roster flexibility, maybe they don't add somebody to the 40-man roster and they, you know, they give an opportunity to Montero or someone like Cicchini, or, you know, someone who's, who's already there. Um, I think it's just going to depend on how, how it all shakes out. But, you know, you mentioned Guys like Sean Gilmore, um, who could be on the you know on on the bubble for the forty man roster, um, Eric Adell, and you have to believe you know they'd be willing to sacrifice him at this point for you know better options. Like there's just um, so um, maybe they can create some creative flexibility, so to speak. Well, let's let's head out to the infield. We know of uh, one uh, player who will be starting off on the disabled list. Give me your take on what. Yeah, I talked. Uh, I talked. We've talked a couple times actually with various guests over the past couple of weeks on on David Wright, and uh, yeah, I, I think the the question I keep throwing out there, and I'll throw it to you as well, um, as as somebody who you know is a big David Wright fan, you know, it, you know, are we as optimistic and as peppy as David Wright still is? Is it, how hard is it at this point to not feel like we're kind of approaching the end? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's it's you don't want it to be the end, um, especially for a player and a person like David Wright. Um, and I, I certainly don't think he has any reason to just throw in in the towel. I mean, I think he has about eighty million reasons to at least try. Um, but you know, with that said, you know, this is let's assume for the moment his shoulder is healthy today, right? He's coming off major neck surgery, which, you know, there's, there's always going to be, you know, a loss of range of motion, um, you know, and certain other skills when it comes to that kind of neck surgery for anybody, whether you're a normal, a normal civilian or, or, or professional athlete, especially a professional athlete. But take, take that and throw in the fact that he has to prepare every single day, 90 minutes in advance of, performing baseball activities 90 minutes there he has a 90 minute routine and that in and of itself is grueling and 
you know, then you throw in the loss from the neck surgery and now throw in the shoulder situation, which, you know, I think it remains to be seen, you know, how he responds and recovers from something like that, if he can at all. And, you know, you have to believe just the human side of, with the human side of this, there's only so much anyone can take. Um, and there could, you, you have to believe just, you know, just from a, I'm getting tired of all this perspective that he's going to get tired of, of doing this to himself and get, and then, uh, you know, risking injury and maybe getting hurt again. Um, I don't think that day has come today. Um, like I said, I don't think he has any reason, you know, in the middle of March to say this is it, but, you know, I think everybody's getting the feeling that day is coming, which was, is very unfortunate. Now we could all be wrong and he could bounce back and still be a productive player at age 34. But, you know, you can, you're starting to sense it with him too, you know, that some of that optimism is disappearing. You know, when he talks and you listen to his voice and the words he's using, you know, you hear the frustration and you hear almost the sadness. And, um, that, I mean, as a, as a fan, and as someone who's gotten to know him over the years, it makes me sad, you know, because you don't want to see this happen to a player and someone who, you know, just despite Fred Wilpon's comments has been a star and an ambassador to baseball, you know, for the better part of 15 years. Um, and you don't want to see it, but, you know, we're starting, I, you know, I think we're all starting to scratch our head and wondering, when, you know, when that day's coming that, you know, when he makes that announcement. So, Presuming, and I think all of us are basically presuming at this point that uh, David Wright starts the season on the disabled list. Um, I, I think we we can assume that uh, Jose Reyes is the main benefactor of the playing time. But uh, mm-hmm. who do you think will be the benefactor of a roster spot? Well, I mean, again, it's a good question. I don't think he'll start on the sixty-day DL, so I don't know that that'll open up a 40 man opportunity for anybody, at least not, you know, in April. Um, Wouldn't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's because, you know, teams typically like to buy themselves, you know, that, that kind of flexibility before they make a 60 man, uh, a, a 60 day DL move. But I mean, you think a guy like TJ Rivera, you know, has a new opportunity to be on the club. Um, I don't want to say Ty Kelly at the moment, although he's getting a, absolute ton of at-bats in spring training. Um, but that's just because he's not on the 40-man roster right now. But, um, you know, T.J. Rivera, Gavin Cicchini, um, to me, you know, I'd, I'd say that Gavin Cicchini has less of, an, uh, less of a chance because the fallback to Azul Cabrera is Jose Reyes at short, and then someone like T.J. Rivera can slot right in. That's not a, a third base, and that's not a position that Shaquille can play, or you know has shown that he, you know, he has to, he'd have to get reps in the minor leagues before he'd be considered an option. So that's what that's what I've been thinking. Um, I didn't think, you know, I think all things being equal, T.J. Rivera is in the minor leagues to start the year. But you know, like I said, you know, with with Wright probably starting on the DL and being on the DL for a good long while, um, that should open an opportunity for T.J. Rivera to play that utility role around the infield at the big league level. If you were a gambling man, when do you say we see David Wright off the DL? You know, I was thinking that on the flight home the other night, and I was thinking June at best right now. Uh, you know, he's not throwing. He hasn't played in the game in forever at this point. Um, so assume his arm, assume they say he's going to start a throwing program around opening day, like a real baseball throwing program. You figure that's going to take two to three weeks just to get his arm in shape to start a rehab assignment. And then he's going to need a full sleeve, a full schedule of games to, you know, to get himself ready. And that puts you right around June 1st. And like I said, I think that's at best. Um, and then what you're going to see when, and if he comes back is the big mystery. I, I, you know, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think he knows anymore. Yeah. It's, it's it, I, I would agree with you there. I think I, I would, I've been looking at June kind of targeting, somewhere in there because the fact of the matter is anytime you lose spring training, you, you've basically got to do it over again. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, you know, especially when you've got a, you know, a team that's actually a competitive team that's expected by most people to at least be in playoff contention, if not outright the playoffs. Um, even if you're David Wright, you can't do spring training on the major league level. 
No, and he, and he knows that, and he's he's always said from the very very beginning of all, of all this, he said he's not going to be a detriment to the team, not going to be a detriment to the roster. Which there's a speculation that at one at some point he's just going to throw his hands up because um, like he's not going to do anyone a disservice. Um, he's still going to get paid one way or another, but um, you know I don't think he's going to. You know, I think he he wants this organization to win. He's going to do whatever is in the best interest, both short and long term. Well, that means, you know, he takes his time um, to get ready and he's not back until the second half again of this year. You know, I think he's more than willing to do that. And, you know, I, but, you know, long term, certainly, like I said, I think there's only so much any human being can take. You know, he's been beaten up badly in the last three years. And, you know, you, I think everybody is, you know, sympathetic and feel, feels for him and is rooting for him. But, I don't think anyone's particularly optimistic. There's no reason to be optimistic that he'll be able to come back and come back and be the player that they all want him to be. Um, but again, you know, they have Jose to be their third baseman, and they have um, TJ Rivera can fill in, you know, if Jose needs to go to short. And also, you know, you think long term, if he does, in fact, you know, hang him up, you know, what does that mean for the position? And there's a pretty interesting free agent. You know, next year, you know, coming from Baltimore, and that will probably be a topic of discussion, you know, throughout the year. To be honest. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, that that was one name uh, in um, talking to your former cohort and good friend uh, Matthew Cerrone a few weeks ago. I, I threw the question: if you had a if you had a if you had a guess who's the opening day um, 2018 third baseman, you pretty much said David Wright or Manny Machado. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's. I'll tell you what, the prospects things. are very exciting. If, I mean, we all know how good that guy is on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's, and he's certainly put on a show in the world of baseball. It seems like every time the ball's hit to him, or it's really not to hit to him, and he makes a Superman play. Like it's he's, he's an absolute pleasure to watch. You know, he's Brooks Robinson esque over there. Maybe, dare I say, it could be better. I mean, I don't know, but he's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, and speaking of prospects, before we leave, before we leave the infield and head to the outfield, talk a little bit about the. Um, you know, we've gotten to see a good amount of Dom Smith and a, even more of an amount of Ahmed Rosario, who seem to be the future at their position. Certainly, Ahmed Rosario looks like a future All Star, quite frankly. Yeah, um, and, and Dom Smith has looked very well as well, and, and certainly a potential heir to Lucas Duda at first base. Talk a little bit about. Um, you've had a chance to watch them now both for a couple of years. Talk about some of the growth you've seen in them and uh, how exciting it is to see them at this point. Well, I mean, I'm I'm always looking forward to seeing them, even in spring training. I'm excited when they're when they're when they're thrown out there by Terry Collins. I mean, you know, Rosario, like you said, I mean, he looks like he looks like the real deal. He reminds me of Jose Reyes 15 years ago when we would see get that taste in spring training, and you know, he just looked big league ready, you know, right right then and there. I look at Rosario's size and I see someone who, you know, the the power really hasn't um, blossomed yet, but you look at how tall he is and, you know, how he's going to, you know, fill into that frame of his and you figure he's got 20, 25 home runs at this level um, when he, when he gets here, Um, you know, I don't want to try and create an expectation, but you look at that, you look at his swing and you look at the swing path and it's just a matter of, you know, growing up so to speak and you know he's still very young and you know he's he's probably a four-tool player already the glove is big league ready the bat is just about polished enough to be here and you know fortunately again you know they have a lot of depth at short and he'll have the luxury of developing even more in the minor leagues and getting a full season in triple a in a hitter's haven where he will be able to enjoy success, you know, hopefully get to enjoy a lot of success and be ready for, ready to break camp with them a year from now. Um, and also, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to is how he, his defense um, reacts to the difficult conditions in the Coast League. You know, the in Las Vegas in particular, the ground's very hard, the grass is very dry, so the ball is very fast. And you don't get those, you don't get really, you don't get good true hops there. So, it's going to be a good, a nice challenge for him all around playing in Las Vegas, playing in those conditions. And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe seeing him later in the year in September and giving him a taste. 
as for Dom Smith, I mean, you know, his bat really came around last year. I've always I thought his glove was big league ready for a while. I mean, he has gold glove potential at first base. And I think you've seen him, you know, seen a lot of him, you know, this spring and how he's able to pick it. And he has those really nice soft hands. And he's going to be a, 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 a stat cast dream, you know, over there at first base with the way he – he plays that position, and um, I think we're, you know, the big thing for him is to see if he can, if there can be some continuity at AAA this year um, with the bat. You know, we saw him break out um, within the Eastern League, which is which is a very difficult thing to do, making that jump from single A to, to double A, and he mastered it and did really well last year. We saw that power finally come around. Um, he's lost a little bit of weight and developed some more muscle, and I think that can only help his bat speed, and um, you know, he's, you know, he's a big prospect and very important for the future of this organization, you know, especially with Lucas Duda being a free agent after this year. So, um, it's a big year for him. And I, but I do think that, you know, he's gonna, you know, he, he you know, like Rosario certainly has all-star potential all the way around. And I think he's going to help as good as Lucas Duda has become at first base. I think, you know, Smith is going to be even better at first base long-term and, you know, he's going to help save that many more runs for, you know, the infield um, and base runners, I should say, for this infield, you know, in the very, very short term. And he's certainly, you know, their plan B if Duda goes down. I can't see, you know, he's very, very close to being big league ready. And I think, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like he's, he remind in watching him this spring, especially though with his swing and, and I mean, oh my goodness, he's got a beautiful swing. Yes, he does. Um, and it, uh, I mean, just watching the, the way he is finesse, finesses at first base, um, it, uh, he's got a little bit of Keith. He's got a little bit of old root in him, a yes, little bit gappier than those, a little bit gappier of a hitter than those two were. Uh, but uh, you, you could hear Keith drooling through the microphone when he describes how this guy is playing first base. And yeah. um, equally impressed with Keith was Dom Smith, which, uh, you know, Great, uh, great impression to make when uh, you're a first baseman and you heard Keith Hernandez, which sadly, not a lot of today's first baseman we can say that about. Right. I mean, I think I think the key for Smith offensively is, you know, like you said, a swing is as classic as they get. I mean, I think the key for him is to, you know, keep building, keep building that that core strength up. You know, he said, you know, he, he's admitted that he's had you know weight problems at, as a professional. I think we've seen his weight go up and down over the last couple of years. I mean, he doesn't have the weight problems that people like Prince Fielder had and Pablo Sandoval had, but, you know, he struggles. It's something that, you know, a lot of people struggle with, and he's, you know, one of them. And I think so the key is for him to continue to build that core strength so he can improve bat speed and to continue to develop offensively, specifically from, you know, a power perspective. You know, a swing is certain. You look at a swing and you and you say, well, I don't see why he can't be a 30 home run bat with that swing. Um, and that, along with his ability to make contact, make him a, a, a complete hitter. You know, there's, you know, it's really, really exciting. Now from, yeah, I think you could say the same thing about his defense. You know, if he can continue to, you know, to, to maintain his weight and build that court and build that strength up, that'll only help his speed, you know, and his ability to charge bunts and make, you know, those unusual plays that Keith Hernandez was able to do in the prime of his career and, you know, really be the captain of the infield. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're talking about, you know, Smith and Rosario two years from now being, you know, possibly perennial all-stars, you know, that would be a very good thing for this organization. It's, it's certainly. I mean, the the one thing I love is to, is is looking at these two guys and going, "This is the next generation, so to speak, of Sandy's plan coming to mm-hmm. fruition." Um, after you know the first round of pitchers and knowing that uh, you know, another year or two down the road, just behind them, uh, another generation of pitchers. So yeah, I mean, I mean you know, this is the system that keeps on giving. It's it's what Sandy envisioned when he took over. He said it at his press conference. The idea is to keep the keep keep the line moving, create a pipeline of of talent to maintain, to, to maintain winning. And, um, I, you know, no one can predict the future. Um, and certainly not every prospect pans out. And the Mets have been very, very fortunate with their pitching that, you know, they've been able to develop and maintain that kind of talent in the rotation. Um, 
But like I said, you know, they're you know they you're starting to see a wave of offensive players, which they really needed. It's when, when, when all these players, when all these pitchers had graduated to the major leagues two, just two years, two and three years ago, the question from, from um, farm system evaluators was, okay, well, they don't really have much left because, you know, they all, all of their talent graduated to the major leagues and they don't have any offensive players. And, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit of that, you know, change and that's, you know, you can, that that's a good thing. I mean, I, I'm in Rosario and Smith are already in the organization at that point, but you know, it was clear that uh, Ch- Ch- I can never pronounce his name. I feel terrible. Chikini and um, and Nimmo were probably not going to be primary players in the major leagues at that point, so it left open a lot of questions. But I think the Mets have answered them in in you know in a good way. I mean, there's there's a lot of good talent in the minor leagues and a lot of people you don't hear about because of all the pitching that has come through the system. And I think that's been very good for, for those guys because they've been able to fly under the radar, develop without pressure and scrutiny. And, you know, here we are, you know, about to have, you know, the infield reformed with top shelf, top shelf talent um, within a year, maybe even a few months. If, if the, if people get hurt, you know, you're going to see him. And, you know, we know we're going to see Rosario if Reyes, if Reyes and, and, Cabrera get hurt, or there's a change on the infield. They're, they're, he's just going to be the guy. There's no reason to keep him down if he's ready. Well, and, and you know the one thing too. I mean, I, I know a lot. A lot has been made about a certain um, former football star that is in in camp this year. But uh, the fact of the matter is that Tim Tebow's presence has really taken some pressure off some of these guys because the Absolutely. media all seems to want to talk to him, and they're kind of ignoring some of the the, the real talent. And, and not to say that, I'm not. I'm not. That was not a backhanded diss on Tim Tebow. I I, I just have literally no opinion on him. To be perfectly honest, um, sure. it, it just he he's a guy in the organization until he proves to me otherwise. Seems like a nice enough guy. I have no personal problem with him, but he's just another guy in the system until he proves to be otherwise. But uh, you know, the guys with the real talent, and even to a good extent, even Ahmed Rosario is not getting the attention that he might normally get um, if it weren't for Tim Tebow. Well, and, and that's a very good point, and that's probably a big reason why he's getting a lot of a lot of playing time on the big league diamond is because, okay, I mean, I think his I think the his ability to mentor people, um, just psychologically and um, you know maybe philosophically is you know provides value, and I think and Terry Collins has has hinted at that over the course of spring training. But you make a very good point in that when Tim Tebow is playing, all eyes are on Tim Tebow. They're not on – Matt Harvey wasn't even the story the other day, and he probably would have otherwise been the big story because he was so ineffective and the stuff was you know just not good. But still, people really aren't talking about that. They're talking about Tim Tebow's two hits in that game. And you know I think that's a good thing for Matt Harvey, and it's a good thing for the Mets that – the focus is on on every single pitch that's thrown at Tim Tebow, every single ball that's hit at Tim Tebow, and not necessarily the ball coming out of Matt Harvey's hand, and not necessarily, you know, what Dom Smith is or isn't doing as he, you know, you know, as he's being introduced at you know at the big league level, and that's important. You know, it's 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 a weird. I don't want to say it's a good or a bad distraction because you know he has his haters for sure. Um, but it's certainly a weird distraction and a distraction to the point where it takes, I think it's, it takes some of the pressure off right now. And that's, that's very important. You know, and, and I mean, my, my, my really, it, it's funny. You talk about that. I was watching the game yesterday on uh, MLB.tv and it was the uh, Cardinals feed from uh, Fox sports Midwest. And mm-hmm. uh, they were obsessed with Tebow for most of the yeah. game. Uh, certainly when he was in it and you know and even the uh the lead announcer whose name slipped my mind off the top of my head but uh um, asked his color guy which is a uh, former cardinal and angel outfielder jim edmonds uh what he thought of it uh tebow out there and did chance and tebow i mean he he he's at the tim tebow fan club out there jim edmonds uh he was raving about the guy pretty much um including making a really big deal about a slightly above average catch he made out there um like I said, I don't consider myself a hater. I don't consider myself a, a Tim Tebow fan. 
Um, he seems like he's a good guy. It seems like he's great to have in the clubhouse. He seems like the kind of guy you'd want as a teammate. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I will say that has impressed me about him this spring, now don't get me wrong, he is overmatched by a good amount of pitching. Seeing him get the hit off Maka yesterday was actually pretty uh, – uh, Waka, I should say, um, is pretty um, – was pretty impressive. I thought that was good. The, the the thing I thought was interesting is the poise he brings. Because I remember when like Ruben Tejada came up and he was too soon, and when he was overmatched, he he looked overmatched to the max. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen in those spring training games those A ball guys that come up, and you know they're trying to stand ten feet off the plate. They're shaking and knowing their mom is watching on TV somewhere. All those all those emotions <laughs> that go through. Even when he is completely overmatched, Tebow doesn't look overmatched. I give him credit for that. He has his poise down. Right. And, you know, look, he's dealing with a lot of pressure. He's dealing with, obviously, the pressure of being Tim Tebow and the spotlight being on him because he's Tim Tebow. And this is a, in some, in some eyes anyway, ridiculous situation. People are just waiting for him to fail or look stupid. So he's dealing with that. He's also dealing with the fact that he hasn't played any sort of organized baseball in the last 10 years. And that's, that plays a role. And so what does he do? You know, he's, yeah, he's able, he's, you know, he is what he is. He's a minor league player at best right now. I don't think anyone would dispute that, but he's still, you know, just from watching him, you know, he's has this, I don't want to say this aura, but he certainly has a presence to him that, it really is all about having no fear. And, you know, you, I think, I, you know, I've started to admire him. <laughs> you know, at first I was skeptical and I was wondering, you know, why the Mets, why the Mets did this, why they're doing it. But, you know, I'm watching him and getting, I don't even want to say a firsthand look because I've watched him plenty of times on TV over the last couple of weeks. You know, you have to admire that he's able to put all that pressure aside all, and, you know, and he knows what people are saying. He's able to put it all aside and go out there and do what he's and do what he's doing. And he's not he's not scared. He's not afraid to make mistakes. And it's what you try and teach every single young player, you know, who you know whether it's amateur at the amateur or professional level. And I think that's admirable. And you know he may never make it, but fault the guy for trying and pursuing another dream of his. And you know showing that kind of poise. And it should teach a lot of those young guys. You know, like hey, you know look at what I have to deal with and look at how I'm able to overcome it. And that should be a lesson for a lot of the young players who are coming through the system. Now, in, in, in other organizations too, because other organizations are watching this happen and they're reading about it and they're seeing the highlights and, you know, they know what he has to deal with as a result. And, you know, I, I think you have to have a soft spot for it, whether you like the idea or not, you know, he's still a human being and, you know, he's trying his absolute best and, you know, showing, you know, that, you know, hey, if I can do it, you know, anyone can do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it probably isn't the worst thing for the Mets or baseball. You know, when you, when you, look, when you look back on it, it'll probably be a very good thing. I, I mean, it's certainly not a uh, – it's not uh, – a few people have tried comparing it to this, but it's not a Garth Brooks situation again. I mean, it, it's, no. it's – you know, and don't get me wrong. That was, that was done with a you know, good charity in mind, and, and a lot of people were helped by uh, the, the charity efforts of Garth Brooks. And so – I mean, I don't fault the Mets for getting involved, nor do I fault the other teams that uh, that, that Garth played with throughout his uh, baseball career, if you will. Uh, but uh, you know, the Tim Tebow say I don't have a problem with it. I, I, you know, I I really don't have a problem with him playing in big league games, especially now that uh, you know, quite frankly, there are more at bats need to go on than there are games, and you're going to see a lot of Mets big league players playing on the minor league side, and vice versa. And I don't have a problem seeing a bit more of them this spring. I really don't. I mean, yesterday he only started because Brandon Nimmo got hurt again, uh, you know, reaggravating yeah. the injury he got uh, at the WBC. So I think that, uh, you know, looking at that, it, it's kind of uh, um, nice to have somebody that you can just bring over that you're not necessarily pulling out of a rhythm. Because those minor league guys, a lot of them, you want to get them in that rhythm for the regular season on the level they're sure. going to be playing at. So, I mean, you have a little bit of a luxury when you've got a 29-year-old that's probably tagged for uh, Columbia, South Carolina in two weeks. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, you know, I got to look at him and, you know, over the last couple of days when I was, you know, when I was down there and you can see his hands are all, 
you know, he's got he's got baseball player hands now, where they're all like scuffed up, and he's got the sliding, you know, he's got the the road rash on his on on his forearms. And you know, you brought up the Garth Brooks situation, and I think the difference between the two, you know, both are celebrities, obviously, but I think one of the key differences between the two is that Tim Tebow is really try, really really trying, and I think. You could see those those war wounds on the, the war wounds on his on his hands and you know his his forearms are is an indication of someone who's not who's taking it very very seriously and wants to learn wants to get better and eventually wants to get to the major leagues. You know I don't think he's doing this because he just wants to play baseball. He want, he's doing this because he wants to be a major league player and I don't see a problem with that. I mean I want to be a major league player too. The difference is I can't do what he's doing. So you know he's and I think. You know, that's the case with a lot of players. And maybe the reason why a lot of people are so down on this is because they're jealous or they're envious. Um, you know, I'm I'm jealous and envious, but I respect but I respect what he's trying to do. You know, I, I'm jealous that he's able to do it, and I wasn't able to do it. And I think a lot of people are, feel that way. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, my entire my, – my life's dream was to play for the Mets and put on that uniform. Absolutely. And, you know – I don't know if his dream was to ever play for the Mets, but his dream was to be a big leaguer and, or one of his dreams anyway, was to be a big leaguer. And he has an opportunity to maybe get there one day, you know, even if it's for, you know, the moonlight Graham at bat, you know, but he has an opportunity now to get there. He has a contract and that's, you know, the, the sky's, you know, it's, it's up to him at this point. And I'm, it'd be, it'd be a really nice story to write about one day if he could do it, I think. Uh, yeah, the only problem is with all the stories being written about him now, are we going to be so sick of that we won't want to read that story? <laughs> so the the um, and to answer your question, yes, absolutely, totally dreamed dreamed of pitching for the Mets. I'm 42 now, so it, it almost seems like I may be past my prime. But as I tell people, I'm a left-hander. It ain't over. Uh, yeah. I'm There's a left-hander. A Don't count somewhere. me out. Uh, I'm just saying, I I got another four or five years in me, maybe. Yeah, just just call me just call me uh, Jesse Orozco and I'll uh, I'll I'll pitch till my arm falls off. Seriously. Well, last que- last question. We'll stay in the outfield here. What's the configuration? Do you think come opening day? And I mean, you know, the, the obviously the Conforto question is there, and the Bruce question is there. Yeah. After initially starting off hot, Bruce has definitely cooled off again here, uh, dancing around the Mendoza line, and uh, Conforto's looked really well. Obviously, the the Mets are going to have to sell the sell the fans on a bill of goods that looked like on paper they're sending the better guy down yeah i mean i think that's that's always that's that has been the case since they decided they weren't going to trade jay bruce um i don't see a scenario where he does get traded um the one thing i guess we have right now is he has this little bit of a hip thing which you know in in mets land can turn into a big situation so i think that that's worth watching and you know i've said it all along if everybody's healthy conforto's a minor leaguer which he is not a minor leaguer and um but he's going to end up in triple a because he's got to play every day he's not going to he can't be in platoon anymore he's got to face lefties and righties um the 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 ceiling is too high for him to be a platoon guy and that might have it's i think that's a whole other story because you know they kind of, I almost want to say they kind of psyched him out against lefties because they wouldn't play him against lefties. So what happens at the end of April last year, he gets, he, he, the first lefty assignment is Madison Bumgarner, and that's when he, that was the day he got screwed up. You know, so you know, I don't want to say, um, you know, that kind of ruined him because I still think, this. you know, he's got a very high ceiling. But, you know, I, I do believe that in order to straighten him out, he's got to face both lefties and righties wherever he's playing. Now, like I said, I think it's going to be in AAA if everybody's healthy, but I think the Bruce hip situation is worth watching because we're two weeks away from from opening day. And, you know, like I said, Mets, these little Mets injuries always seem to turn into, you know, he's out for the years. So, um, and if, if Bruce is hurt, I mean, Conforto's a guy, period. You know, he's going to be the right fielder. He's got to be the right fielder. But, like I said, if he's healthy, you know, it's Cespedes and left, Lagaris and Grandy in center, and a platoon. And Bruce is going to be the opening day right fielder. I don't think they're going to, you know, bench thirteen million dollars, especially a thirteen million dollar bat who had thirty home runs last year. 
albeit with a 303 on base, but, you know, nonetheless, he had 30 home runs. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, I, 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 don't, I think Bruce is a little bit under, underappreciated as a result, mostly because he was largely terrible from the time he was acquired, um, short of the last 10 games. But, you know, you can't believe that's going to be, you know, the Jay Bruce that shows up at City Field in April. And, you know, look, I mean, I think a lot has come out about Bruce's situation which, you know, I could sort of understand why he wasn't himself um, after the acquisition. You know, he had issues with housing. You know, he had issues, you know, he had just had, he just had a baby last year, and he was pulled away from that, and that had to play a role. And it's not an excuse, but in the end, these things impact human beings, and he's a human being, albeit a rich one. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, Bruce can, has he built, he will hit the reset button. And it'll be more like, you know, the Jay Bruce that the Mets expected he would be when they acquired him. Um, but um, I guess, you know, time will tell, um, you know, but I think we all agree that Conforto is not in the minor leagues. He end up in, in the minor leagues. Everybody's healthy. Well, before I let you go, I just going to wrap the show up here. And uh, of course, uh, people are talking this morning about uh, the passing of Jimmy Breslin, who, uh, wrote a great book about the 1962 Mets. Can't anybody here play this game? Which, of course, is Casey, a Casey Stengel uh, quote. And I was given a quote from the book earlier today, and I just wanted to run this by you and tell me, tell me if this isn't timeless. You see, the Mets are losers, just like everybody else in life. This is a team for the cab driver who gets held up and the guy who loses out on a promotion because he didn't maneuver himself to lunch with the boss enough. It is the team for every guy who has to get out of bed in the morning and go to work for a short money on a job he doesn't like. And it is the team for every woman who looks up 10 years later and sees her husband eating dinner in a T-shirt and wonders how the hell she ever let this guy talk her into getting married. The Yankees? Who does well enough to root for them? Lawrence Rockefeller? (laughs) And I I read that quote, and I'm like, there is a timeless quality to that quote right there because it is so true. That is yeah, the Met you know, fan base, and that is the Yankee fan base. You know what's funny about it, though? I mean, it, it's timeless, but you think about you, don't, you, you almost think about the culture and the society and the words he used, and it's it's fascinating to 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 read that quote today and think about you know think about how classic that really is, and how you know it's sort of it. I'm searching for the right word, but it's how charming it is because it sort of makes you think about life at the, during that era and, you know, forget the teens, but just the way he described, you know, the Mets, the, the Mets brand and their fan base. It's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's charming to me. And, to me. Um, and then of course, the point about the Yankees, mind you, you're coming that, that year in 62, that's a year removed from the, the home run race and, you know, you're in the middle of the Yankee dynasty and to throw around the name uh, to, to connect it to, to Rockefeller, Rockefeller, I always mispronounce that name, um, is just very typical of the time. And, you know, funny and interesting. And, you know, he's certainly, you know, a pioneer for and, you know, a mentor for a lot of today's writers. And, you know, he's going to be he's going to be missed. You know, he's he's a. You know, he's he was a, he was a great presence um, for the media in those days, for sure. And that's a great, obviously, a great quote that you pulled out. Michael, it is always a pleasure talking, my friend. I, I could I could probably do four or five more hours with you if we had it, but uh, alas, the show's come to an end. It is always a pleasure. <laughs> we will talk soon as as we head into the season. But before I'm, I'm going to pin you down right now, if you had to put a put a number on it, how many wins do you think this team's gotten it? Ninety-three. Is that enough to win the division? I don't think. I think the Nationals. Real quickly, I think the Nationals bullpen is too is is a real big question mark, and I think you know, Max Scherzer's health is a problem for them. So, and I think that's going to impact them this year. I, and I don't think Murphy is going to be um, Superman Murphy again. I just, I mean, I I'm probably shooting myself in the foot, but I just can't believe you know he's going to put up those numbers, and that will impact their win total as well. I feel almost like a copycat, but <laughs> in thinking about it earlier, I put them at 93 as well, enough to win the division. I, I put the Nationals somewhere around 90 to 91. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to come down it's to going the It's going to be a dogfight. I think. Yeah, but I, I think I would be amazed if the Mets run away with it. I'll be pleased with yeah. it, but I don't, imagine, I don't expect it. I think the Mets could use, um, 
um, you know, a coast at the end of the year, like what they got in 15, but I don't think it's going to be that simple, but I do ultimately think the Mets are, are deeper and more complete than the nationals. I said this a year ago, but the Mets got hurt and that was, and they got Murphy'd, you know, that was the big problem. Um, but I do think you know, ultimately the Mets are the better team and the better team should win the division. I agree. I, I think it's going to be, like I said, I think it's going to be close. I think they're both playoff teams. I do think the Nationals claim one of the wild cards, but, uh, you know, I, I think the worst case scenario is the, those two roles flip-flop. Uh, I'd rather not see the Giants in another one-game playoff. We can avoid that. But uh, uh, so the division is preferable. Again, always a pleasure. Look forward to doing this soon. And uh, for the three people who don't know, how can they find you on the net? Um, Michael G. Barron on Twitter, Michael G. Barron on Instagram, and Michael G. Barron on Facebook. I've made sure I've, – I've kept – consistency across all social media platforms so you that's you, branding you, you, that's branding yeah, right there <laughs> yeah I'm, i've worked really hard at that so that's where you can find me and i'm always open for a baseball chat absolutely and and any absurd trade ideas that come to mind <laughs> yeah you know i really haven't had that many which is, is I, i'm afraid no, it's gonna make me rusty at the year. trade deadline what's that it's been a quiet year it was a quiet year for barren trades yeah, well, I think because the roster is so set. And, I mean, I'm just afraid I'm going to be rusty in my witty responses to when the trade deadline approaches. So, uh, get, you know, uh, Rosario for um, uh, Machado? No, no, no go? Well, we'll talk soon, my friend. Appreciate you hanging out with me for the whole show on the Happy Recap. We'll be back next week. Our guest is scheduled to be Greg Prince. Of course, he's got a great new book on Mike Piazza coming out. Uh, EJ should be back with me as well. So until next week, let's go, Matt.